HVAC 360 is brought to you today by... New on the shelves at Lefty's Construction Mart is scheduled dynamite. Deadlines piling up? Need to clear some breathing room in your schedule? Then reach for this non-reactive and TSA-approved amalgam of organizational destruction. How's it work, you ask? Just unscrew the top of this two-ounce jar and spill it on the nearest Gantt chart, manpower report, or pile of desktop paperwork and watch the chaos-clearing transformation begin. Schedule Dynamite. Don't leave home without it. What's up? Welcome back. This is episode number 101. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest of in the field of HVAC. How do we do that? Yes. Yes, Matt. How do we do that? We do that by sharing lessons learned. We do that by talking with industry experts. But we don't stop there. No. No, we would do not stop there. I want to encourage you to double down on your HVAC knowledge and go right now to HVAC360.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's full of growing, it's a growing community of people just like you who want their HVAC knowledge with a little shot of refrigerant on the side. So what's up for this week? This week, a great interview. Um, so definitely stay tuned. We talk with Jeff Trailer. Uh, Jeff, just so you know, has been involved with the building commissioning industry for a long time. Um, so ever since I've been going to ASHRAE Society meetings, uh, I try to go to the, um, the subcommittee, the building commissioning subcommittee. Anybody can attend those. They just pop in and listen to them. It, it's a committee that's typically very packed, so a lot of people there. But every time, you know, I'd always see, you know, Jeff sitting at the table, um, you know, just being one of the people kind of, you know, in charge. And any sort of commissioning thing around uh, Ashray, I'd always see Jeff there. So it was a, it was, I'm, it was so happy that I actually got a chance to sit down and talk with Jeff about building commissioning and we kind of give this week we give a, a little bit of a 101 on building commissioning so so sit back and enjoy the show this week we're talking with uh, jeff trailer uh how you doing today jeff doing marvelous how about yourself I, I am doing excellent now for those of you who don't know jeff's been uh, a long time uh commissioning advocate he's been involved in a lot of the commissioning standards a lot of commissioning committees uh even part of the uh um what is it the uh, uh op uh, i'm gonna get it wrong um the Op-O- was the op operation performance management certification process right so he's part of that certification uh, exam subcommittee. So he's really involved in just about everything commissioning. Um, so I guess how did you get how did you get started in you know commissioning in general, Jeff? Well, uh, we as we discussed, it was uh, I had a electrical construction uh, design build firm in Houston, and we were doing a lot of projects for offshore oil platforms around the world. And when you put something together and then it's going to be millions of dollars per hour, if it's not working right, you make sure that it's all been through its paces and tested and is fully and functional operational before you send it out. 
And so the processes and procedures that we set up there are very similar to what has ended up now being in the commissioning process. That was my start. So now, I, I guess, you know, I guess a lot of people is, uh, associate commissioning with, uh, you know, shipbuilding and things like that. Um, you know, and I, and I guess, you know, obviously offshore oil rigs, again, kind of fall into the same category of if it's not working, not only is it is it a waste of resources and you're, you're losing out on revenue, but you're not real close to, you know, extra parts or, you know, being able to kind of, you know, get this thing put together right. That is, that's very true. Uh, if you run into a problem and you're on the north slope of Alaska and the uh, storms are starting to come in for the winter or if you're in the uh, North the North Atlantic in the uh, North Sea and the winter's coming in on one of these things, you don't have a lot of time. And it takes months sometimes to get parts and pieces uh, shipped to uh, places and get them installed or the cost can be astronomical to fly. Uh, we actually had to fly a huge skid-mounted unit on, in one of the largest uh, cargo planes in the world because it got delayed for some parts that were not coming in on schedule. And so avoiding those things can be substantial savings to the owner. Oh, absolutely. Now, now you were, I mean, obviously you were kind of, uh, like you mentioned, you're, you were involved in building commissioning before it was really in vogue in the, the commercial in, you know, commercial construction industry. Um, now there are many certifications out there, many classes, courses that one could take. And one of the more, uh, I guess, um, I don't know if it predates a lot of them, but uh, one of them is the University of Wisconsin-Madison. They have a commissioning program, commissioning certification out there, and I understand you were one of the uh, the instructors of that? That's correct. I got, I got involved with that uh, when one of the other instructors dropped out in 1999, and uh, they invited me to replace him. Uh, I was just getting involved with uh, ASHRAE and the committees and everything with that at that time. and But it was very educational, both to myself. They always say that if you really want to know a subject, teach it to somebody else. And I found that to be absolutely true in this case. And uh, I continued uh, working that uh, class and teaching it several times a year from 1999 till the summer of 2013. Um, during that time, we also organized the uh, commissioning certification program, and um, myself, and I was one of the four first people to take the exam and, and pass it and get the CXAP certification. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> now, I think going into that, you know, being an instructor, being able to see all those different, you know, people, you know, taking taking the 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 course for the first time. What do you, what do you think is some of the 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 most common misconceptions that people have about building commissioning? I'd say that absolutely the most common one that I have witnessed is uh, everybody believes that uh, commissioning is something you start about two days before the building's turned over to the owner. Uh, commissioning is a process, and at that point, the later you wait in the construction process, and I'm talking about design and construction, uh, the less value you will get from the commissioning process. 
about 90% of the savings and, and improvements in the owners to meet the owner's project requirements comes early in the design and pre-design uh, parts of the process. Now, I, I guess, um, yeah, obviously, I think that that I've I've experienced that as well. Um, you know, getting in there early, which is which is not always easy. The way that people you know understand it, you know, even I think engineers understand it a little bit better than architects and owners, which you know don't at all. I think it's a little bit easier now, and I think that with ninety point one kind of being you know the the standard energy code requiring commissioning. Um, it, but it, it still doesn't go into the explicit nature of, uh, you know, getting getting commissioning started in the pre-design. I think that really I think one of the one of the new things with lead uh, that I saw with this latest version was that they actually took the design review from the uh, from from the, the enhanced credit into the. Uh, the, the prerequisite, which was good because that means that you, you have to, you have to, you, you're, you're telegraphing to everybody that you have to get the commissioning into a project in the design. And I think that that at least, uh, you know, since, since a lot of people look to lead and they associate lead and commissioning a lot, I think that kind of would be a good indicator to get commissioning involved, uh, earlier in the project. So no question, no question whatsoever. Uh, one of the most successful projects that I've been involved in was a uh, conference center for the University of Texas, the AT&T Conference Center, which is on their main campus uh, in downtown Austin. And uh, we got involved in the very, very early stages of pre-design and were able to save the owner millions of dollars in uh, design concepts and stuff that uh, became aware by trying requirements early on in the, in the process. And we ended up finishing that job on schedule, and that schedule had been set for five years ahead. Now, how many people know construction schedules are generally very flexible or, or end up being very flexible? And uh, to, to accomplish that and get it in you know, so that they could open that conference center, the hotel portion of it, for the beginning of the football season uh, was a major accomplishment. Yeah, no, I mean, the schedules are, are very, you, you deal with delays, you know, and that's, that's the thing that kills a schedule is, is the delays and you can't really predict the weather. Um, I think it'd probably be a little bit easier in Texas than it would be in, in say, you know, the Northern climates up here in uh, Ohio. But uh, I, I think that uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And that, you know, I just like to, to, to highlight you saved millions of dollars and I'm sure that far outweighed uh, the entire commissioning fee for that project. Oh yeah, no, no question about it. So the, the payback was was negative. You know, it was it was it was before even the project was started. Started, you save you saved the money that that commissioning uh, cost. That's that's uh, that's correct. So when you have when you have this course, uh, uh, for example, the you know the the University of Wisconsin Madison course on commissioning, what I guess what could somebody expect? Um, and, and not like it would vary too much from from whether it be NEB or or whether it be uh, you know ASHRAE or, or whatever. But what would you expect uh, to learn from a kind of a, a one hundred and one course in commissioning? Well, 
Uh, I think it, you would learn how and why the commissioning process, when when properly implemented, uh, will be uh, successful, and what can make the difference between a successful commissioning project and what may a, a, a project that doesn't quite meet the standards or meet the owner's uh, desires and wishes. Um, and and a lot of it is understanding how the different forces and pieces of uh, guidelines, particularly uh, guideline zero, uh, can be applied to the commissioning process and, and what the benefits are and how to apply these things. Um, things like the design review portion, one of the things that we did was conduct a design, uh, uh, informal design review on a set of plans and then very quick, this doesn't take very long really, but uh, a one hour review of some plans and then come back with comments and what did you find, how did you find it, what made this process of how to conduct a, a design review uh, effective. Uh, we did this at a special course for people at the Miami-Dade School District and um, they were going through, we, we said, well, well, bring one of your sets of plans and we'll use that for the design review test or training part of the of the project. And we were about halfway through the hour and a half, I believe, that we had designated for that. And one of the, two of the people got up and ran out of the classroom. And uh, as we were starting the uh, classroom discussion, everything, they came back and uh, we said, what happened? Well, the set of plans that we just reviewed had been reviewed for over three months by different departments within the school district, and they discovered during our quick design review that they had left out the parking lot. <laughs> Nobody had caught that. <laughs> and it's a matter of how you go about looking at the review. If all of us have ever looked at plans, you can get into the minutia of it and and overlook big things like, oh, where's the parking lot <laughs> or other, the big issues. And if you go in and you're looking for things that are not in compliance with the owner's project requirements, you're very quickly and easily uh, hit, get down to the nitty gritty and get it back. And one of the things we say is that you do not have to review everything on there. If you find a substantial number of issues in the re design review that do not meet with the uh, owner's project requirements, as soon as you've gotten a significant number of these things, it's time to say, oh, to stop, send it back. You guys review all this. Here's the things we find. You go look for the rest of it and come back to us. Yeah. And I, and I think a, a lot of people, you know, uh, especially engineers um, who are looking to get into commissioning kind of, I think, sometimes misinterpret the design review as, as being more of a peer review. Um, yeah, well, that's not right. You're, you're, you're not getting into the numbers. You're not, you're not, mm -hmm. you're not challenging other engineers. It's you're looking for things that, like you said, are in line with the owner's project requirements and just things that, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the maintenance staff, you know, just thinking about them. Oh yeah. Um, and planning planning for for operations and maintenance staff and everything is a major part of of commissioning. Um, in the past, as everybody knows, for years the uh, you you started the job, you designed it, and you built it, 
and some days, months, years after the completion of the job, somebody put together a bunch of pieces of catalogs, put it in a box and sent it to them and said, here's your, owner's, here's your owner's manuals. And most of that was sales literature, had nothing to do with it, and uh, the people had, had never had any real training on how to operate major pieces of, of complex equipment like uh, chiller and air systems and BAS systems and this sort of thing. And uh, by setting up a directional controlled uh, uh, program for training and trying to get the owners and everybody to record and save the training for a playback to new employees in the future it made a tremendous difference in, in uh, the operations of the buildings. So I guess what, you know, you got the design portion of it. I mean, as, as far as um, w- what other things do, would you expect from the course? I mean, as far as uh, learning, you know, functional, uh, pre-functional checks? Yeah, learn, learn what, learn how to uh, create uh, uh, construction checklists and also how to create uh, functional tests for and what's important, what you need to be looked for, how to set these up so that they are, Again, meeting the owner's project requirements to make sure that uh, it's all going to function and, and operate properly. And uh, that's it's not a difficult process, but it's very uh, that's the one place where the engineering uh, brain starts needs to be kick in and be looking at uh, the best ways to what is the equipment is designed and operated enough and to do and how to foresee that outcome and and measure it and find out whether it is actually doing it or not. Excellent. So, you know, in, in your years of, of uh, you know, of, of teaching the course, was, was there something that you felt that, you know, I mean, obviously you didn't write it, you were just teaching it. Do you, you, it what things that, you know, do courses like this may, maybe necessarily not prepare students for? Or you know, you think you might be added to it? Um, in that course, over we we continually uh, evaluated the course and made changes and updates and stuff along. Like uh, within you know every year, I would say that the course changed over significantly and improved to meet the things that. Uh, because everybody that was involved in, in the instructors were also involved in doing commissioning. So we were applying the course and seeing what the results were and what could improvements could be made and updating the, uh, the course itself to meet these requirements. And also, at the same time, this was in the uh, 2000s when we were writing Guideline 1 and Guideline 0 um, for X-ray and then started on uh, Guideline uh, 202, and uh, so as we were writing and creating these guidelines, we were taking what we were learning in the field and what we were learning and writing the uh, courses and applying it and improving the classes so that somebody that went through it were pretty much up to date with whatever the latest was at that time and had enough uh, education in the process to be able to carry on from there. So now I've I've heard or I've been told in the past, you know, I mean, there's there's this there's this 
I mean, uh, I guess a, 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 a school of thought that you can't, I mean, uh, a school of thought around the experience of commissioning. A lot of commissioning you know, it's it's like the the chicken and the egg conundrum. Do you, do you do you commit? You know, you learn to commission. You get out there and you learn to commission, and you know, then you can be an expert, or do you have to be an expert first and then go out and commission? You know, how do you you know? Can somebody brand new go out and commission a building? I guess is 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 the question. Somebody new to the construction industry, I think, would be challenged. Um. Whoever, I think the people that are probably do the best job at it are what would be termed polymath, uh, people who are familiar with a lot of different aspects and have, have had a lot, some experience in all phases are at least somewhat knowledgeable. To take someone who is, they say, a design engineer and has spent four or five years sitting in a computer doing designs and throwing them out there without any guidance and saying, hey, here, here's process, follow this, and do in commission building. You would get it done, but not to the quality that, that I would expect uh, because there's so many things that to look for that are very subtle and uh, would be probably more time-consuming for someone who is not quite as knowledgeable to pick up. Now, not to say that they cannot do do it, but I would say that the the job would better be done by someone who has knowledge of both the design side and the construction side in the industry. So if some if if somebody approached you and said, "Hey, you know what? You know, because I get this question, you know, a bunch of times. Hey, how do I?" get involved in building commissioning? I mean, what, what's to you, what's the best avenue for that? I would say that uh, being involved in uh, construction project management would be probably one of the best if you have an education and, and be able to do particularly design build work so that you're involved in the in the project from beginning to end and kind of see where what you started out to do had ended up and what what improvements you could have made and things that you can see as you go along. Is that making sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that you know that that gets you the kind of all sides of it. Whether or not you're you're involved in the engineering, at least you're involved in uh, peop- At least you know who's doing the engineering in it, like a design build scenario, and then you get right. you get you get exposure to the actual installation with the contractors, and then if you're dealing with any sort of you know scheduling or conflicts, at least you get the exposure to that. Um, from from that side, you know, right, right, yep. Which which is it, right. it's kind of unique. I mean, most most of the most of the people that I've seen either you know are that are in the industry are either come from you know basically one of three one of three slots. They're either coming from the the engineering side, um, they're coming from the test and balance side, or they're coming from the control side, and. Yep. I think I think your your polymath kind of example is, is they're missing they're usually missing one or 
one or more of those areas. But right. not to say that they won't do a great, you know, a great job, but they probably can't do the best job that they possibly can. And, you know, if, if you're in that position, maybe it's uh, maybe you tr- try to focus on those other two um, to try to, you know, shore that shore up your knowledge. Yeah, that would that would probably be be helpful. I think that you know somebody that is not uh, had a lot of experience with the construction industry from beginning to end, uh, if they worked with someone for on a project or two that that had and and learns how to look at it, uh, you know, it's like you know, I think we've all known you see maybe these detective movies or something on TV where, you know, they come in and they look and they see things that um, you, as a as a just an average person or something, would walk into a room and, okay, yeah, everything looks good. Someone who is trained to look for the certain things can spot them right off, and it just goes better, and they have fewer uh, mistakes and stuff in there. Right. You know, and it's, it's that it's that training part that that usually gets people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you you know, can you start before you get training? And, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's usually usually there's some sort of issue, you know, that you have on a particular project that all of a sudden it's like, OK, so you look for that issue on future projects and you get you get enough right. of those. And that's the kind of the sixth sense you're talking about. Yeah. And and and. It's a matter of, you know, this, it's kind of hard to, to explain. And like I said, it's just a matter of knowing how to look at things. One of the things that I've learned, and just watching this is, goes back to these stupid TV shows, but you see these ones for CSI and those sort of things. They walk into a room and they have their flashlights on and they don't turn on the room lights. They take their flashlights and shine them around in the room. Well, that focuses their spot looking at where that light is so that they're focused on that little area rather than trying to look at the whole thing at once. And so they're less likely to uh, miss things if they have a process and can focus in on certain areas and say, yep, this is things I need to look for. So obviously, I guess what you know, there, there are some best practices out there, and you've I'm, I, you've kind of you've alluded to a couple of them. But in, in general, what are some best practices for commissioning uh, commissioning authorities? I'd say that one of the best practices is to uh, look at the guidelines. Uh, you got to remember that the standards are are minimum requirements. The guidelines are best practices. And look at the guidelines, be familiar with them, and try to follow the processes that are outlined or described in the ASHRAE guidelines for commissioning and in the other industry standards for building envelopes and fire alarm systems and some of these other, some of these many other systems. But guideline zero covers the commissioning process for all of these things. Guideline one we know is for HVAC equipment. And uh, so if you take those guidelines and these other industry guidelines, the ASHRAE guidelines and other industry guidelines, and look at them and look and apply those, and, and everybody's going to have a little bit of different take in the way that they go about it. But those guidelines were written by people who are in the, in the industry 
and had spent a lot of time and effort, and you're getting the benefit of the knowledge of a, a group of subject matter experts. Now, you mentioned uh, 202. That's an that's ASHRAE standard, correct? Correct. And and what is that? Can you tell people a little bit about 202? Well, that 202, 202 is the minimum standards for uh, commissioning. <clears throat> um, it's somewhat like, for the people that are familiar with the National Electrical Code, <clears throat> National Electrical Code tells you here are the minimum standards that you can uh, use to build or, or create a, a project or something like that, the electrical side of it. Uh, you want to know best practices and everything, you go to IEEE and look at a lot of the stuff that's in the IEEE and uh, other codes and standards and, and schooling to get it in depth. Um, you know, the uh, a minimum standard is what's the, what's the what's the least I can do to get by with and say that I've done the job, and that's what two hundred two basically describes is what's the, what is the minimum acceptable standard for commissioning of a project. Now, is that going to get referenced in um, uh, ninety point one and things like that? Is that is that the intent, or is that? I'm not sure where that exactly where that path is right this moment. Okay. I, I couldn't answer that. I would say that uh, it's going to be it's going to be the standard is probably going to be referenced in uh, building codes and uh, local local authorities having jurisdiction are going to be primarily looking for 202. Owners uh, may want to go further and say, all right, I want it done right. I want it done to the higher uh, level of profession and uh, go to the guidelines. All right. And then that, that kind of would have been right, the, the, the process of 202 being the minimum, then guideline zero uh, or guideline one being the, uh, you know, for the HVAC. Gotcha. Right. So I guess any other, uh, any other stories that, that, that you can share with us about, about commissioning and your, your long, long tenure doing commissioning, anything that, that stands out, any examples that you like to tell your students about, um, as far as commissioning goes? One of them would be the, the absolute critical issues of, of creating a, an owner's project requirements. Uh, I was working on a uh, small hospital project in in um, north central Ohio, and they had called us in, and the job was about oh fifty percent construction complete when we got involved in doing the commissioning for it. And uh, one of the early things that we kept saying, well, we need to have an owner's project requirements. Well, we haven't got time. We you know we're we're too busy building. We don't have time to do this. Okay, you know. I finally, finally got them to sit down, have a meeting, and we just were able to catch a few people from the from the owner and a few people. It was a hospital, so we got a couple of people from the staff, the contractor, one of the design team, and uh, and us. And we started a owner's project requirements workshop, and somewhat um, loosely aligned with the guideline. Uh, zero requirements for an owner's project requirement workshop and sat down and as we were going through this 
we weren't probably 30 or 45 minutes into this, and one of the people told us that, where did all this stuff come from? We never thought talked about any of this when we were when we were doing it, and this is all stuff that we need to talk about and have involved. And have involved. So by not having a design uh, owner's project requirements, they had overlooked huge gaps in the design and construction of, the, of their of their hospital. We were able to catch some of it, but a lot of it they just said, "Well, there's nothing we can do about it. We're just going to go home." But they missed that opportunity. And this is one of the reasons that the Owner's Project Requirements Workshop should be held very early in the design process and maybe repeated uh, later on in in smaller portions as the project uh, moves forward. Because the Owner's Project Requirements is a living document. I mean, owners come along. We were doing a laboratory for Duke University Hospital. Uh, No, this was just for the university. And... uh, the halfway through this uh, four and a half hundred million dollar, um, $450 million laboratory, they decided that, oh, in these areas here where we said we were going to have general labs, now we're going to con- convert them into vivariums, animal holding facilities and testing facilities. That's a whole different ball game. So um, we had to revise the owner's project requirements to meet these new new areas because that was not written in there to begin with. So owner's project requirements is not just something you write and put it down and put it away and forget it. It's something that needs to be referred to and utilized and updated as the project moves forward. Right. And, you know, I guess again, in the case of the vivarium, I mean, that's, that's not, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to make, you know, changes and not necessarily inform everybody, but if you get it in the owner's project requirements and then you redistribute it and you say, hey, here's the changes to this. How does this affect your systems? I mean, from, you know, from the HVAC systems to the electrical systems to, you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's, that's major. You know, I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, talking about, you know, vivariums and, and sound. You know, vivariums are very susceptible to any sort of extra, you know, vibrations, noises. You know, yeah. you can you can you can stress out the, the the test subjects, so to speak, and and you know they're that's not cheap. I mean they they pay they pay top dollar for you know each batch of um, you know the the, uh, the animals that they're testing. Well, yeah, I mean a single rat in some of these vivariums is is worth one hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars, and some of them as much as a million dollars because of the many generational studies that have been done, those things, rats have better pedigrees than probably anybody on the earth uh, because they know everything about those and all that documentation. If something happens and, and that rat dies, they have to start over again. And so it's uh, very critical. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing process. Yeah. And another thing, talking about things that happen on projects, uh, on this same project, uh, we were going through, and, and uh, they were hanging drywall before they even got thinking about putting the curtain walls on the job. And I said, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> and it was raining and cold, and you know this, the drywall was just soaking up moisture all over the place. And I said, you know, hey, what are you going to do about this? Because it's going to take months ever get all this stuff straightened out and the contractor ended up having to go back 
and not go back, but stopped uh, installing any more drywall, closed the building in, and put in uh, dehumidification to try to pull the moisture out of the, out of the walls that they had already hung. And, uh, you know, if we had, hadn't caught that, it would have been a major problem as we moved on down the road with that with that job. Right. You know, I mean, that that's, you know, it's, you know, that leading to mold, leading to issues, you know, especially mm-hmm. in a healthcare, you know, health healthcare situation, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that, that could have, you know, easily, easy been a multi-million dollar lawsuit. You know, it's like things like that, exactly. that people don't think all the way through. They're just, right. you know, head down. I, I've been told to finish this project. I got to finish it. And they're driven mm-hmm. by they're driven by schedule, and it doesn't it right. doesn't work like that. You can't you can't always do that. And again, it, it's one of those things being familiar with construction process and materials and stuff of things that are really not in the purview of someone who is normally doing doing commissioning. Um, but we were able to identify that the the drywall they were hanging was not uh, moisture and mildew mold resistant by the color of it. And, uh, yeah, they were putting it in some of these, you know, the, uh, elevator shafts, but that was it. And so they said, Hey, what about all the rest of this? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, you know, it's not like you have to be experts in drywall, but you know, you are able no. to kind of, you know, understand, okay, that should be, you know, applicable to this X, Y, and Z. And you can just, you know, think exactly. about it and you can ask questions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, well, hey, you know what? I appreciate uh, you spending the time and talking with us, uh, Jeff. Yeah, my my pleasure, my pleasure. I'm always available to uh, discuss and try to bring some, shed some light on some of the uh, aspects of commissioning that um, some people may not see right off the top of their head. Great. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks again for our guest, Jeff Trailer, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, check out the show notes for things and links uh, that I mentioned during the interview. You can, you can find show notes at HVAC360.com slash 101 for the 101st episode. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you look, if you know somebody who is, uh, needs more information or was looking for information about building commissioning, uh, why don't you take this episode and pass it along? Um, if you're not a subscriber, again, uh, go to HVAC360.com, sign up for the mailing list, and join that growing community of people just like you for that weekly double dose of goodness. And I'd be honored if you would go to uh, Apple iTunes or the uh, Apple Podcasts and go and leave a five-star review, uh, leave some comments, And I'll give you a shout out in the next show if you do that. So that's a wrap for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. 